If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 14. And if you're just joining us this weekend, that's okay. You, you missed the introduction weekend, but we only looked at two verses last week. You can find that message on our website. But we are in this new series together through the book of Ephesians called Made Alive. And what we're learning together about our identity in Christ is that our identity is not based on us. It's not based in us. It's based in Christ. And so our identity, as we find throughout scripture, what's our identity? It's in Christ. And Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. And in these 12 verses that we're going to look at, he is bursting with joy. He doesn't write with a concern, hey, you're doing things wrong, do things better, do things different. He is he is starting out just bursting with joy. And in, the, and in the original Greek writing of how Paul wrote this through chapter one, it is just one long sentence. No punctuation, no periods. And so all you English majors, this is your worst nightmare, okay? But this is an incredible passage where Paul is just excited about the blessings that we have in Christ, And as he writes this, it's really important for us to understand he's not writing to his church from his million-dollar home in his gated community. He's writing from prison. And his attitude is not, hey, send me more money, send people, make sure you're you're praying for me, and and send somebody to entertain me. His whole focus and his attitude is joy. And the whole thing that he wants wants the church to understand is, even in the midst as I'm in prison here in the midst of sharing the gospel, his focus and what he's communicating as most important is the blessing we have in Christ. That's where he's going to start. That's where he's going to lead us from into the rest of the series is the blessing we have in Christ. And this is important. So Paul knew it. We are seeing it here. And, and I hope that this morning you, you really learn this, this blessing, because not everyone views this the same. Not everyone really understands blessing. And sometimes we have these opposing views of what that really is. And for some, they they approach it more as the the worker's view, more as you only get what you deserve. So how they look at sports is you only get the points you make, which is true. School, you only get the grade point you earn. And work, you only make as much money as you have coming. And so this is how they approach their relationship with God. And then there's the other who views it with the debtor's view. If you are going to get anything, then you've got to give something. If you're going to get anything, you've got to give something. I I don't want anything that you call free because there's got to be something attached. Free really isn't free. And and then also, you've got to pay back. You've got to earn it and you've got to make it even. If something's given to you, you've got to work for it. So this is the worker's view and the debtor's view. But the opposite of all of that is the blessing. All of the, op- the opposite of all of those is the blessing. So the opposite of the worker's view is that the blessing is you get something you didn't work for. And the opposite of the debtor's view is the blessing that you get something you don't pay back, something you couldn't pay back. And so when we come to the Bible and we hear that God blesses us, it, it almost runs counter to, to our culture, to our thinking sometimes of what we see around. If I'm going to bless you, you better bless me. If I'm going to give something to you, you better give something back to me. But that's not how it works in scripture. And so as it works itself out spiritually, 
I think oftentimes in our lives, we come to God with either the worker's view and the debtor's view. And I'm not saying this is your view, but this is, these are two dominant views that I have seen in people who struggle with their identity in Christ. And I think what we do then is we assume that God doesn't want to bless us, or if he does, we're gonna have to pay him back. And if he's gonna bless me, it's that rare occasion when I did all this stuff. And so what we end up doing then, even unintentionally, is trying to manipulate God. We really walk into a relationship with God, trying to get God to be good to us, to bless us, to be kind to us, and to give to us, and to do something for us. And so still, some think, if I suffer, then God will bless me. If I give, then God will bless me. If I have a quiet time every morning faithfully, never, never strain away unintentionally, then God will bless me. And so some ask in that, what do I do to make God good? Which really is based on your own effort. It's based on your own thinking, but here's the good news. God is good, amen? God is good. And it's not by your effort that he chooses to bless. It is by his character. Because one of the first things we learn about God that we see in the first book of the Bible in Genesis 1, verse 28, is that after he makes the man and the woman, after he makes Adam and Eve, before sin enters the world, it says that God blessed them. So let's understand that. Before, after he makes them, but before the sin has entered in. Everything's perfect. Nothing's wrong. He blesses them. They, they haven't done anything where they, they have to earn it. They haven't done anything to earn his approval or, or lack of approval. He blesses them. And so what we see of God throughout scripture is God is a God who likes to bless. God is a God who delights in blessing. He's a father who does not withhold good gifts from his children. He loves and he cares for them and he's generous towards them. This is the God that we serve. And so as we read this text for us, Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 14, and as we unpack these 12 verses, what we're going to see here is that we are blessed by the redemptive work of Jesus for the glory of God. That sentence, that, that fill in the blank for you right there is really that we are blessed by the redemptive work of Jesus for the glory of God. Because the greatest gift that God gives to us, the greatest way that he blesses us is by giving us Jesus. And we see that in this text. So we're gonna start in Ephesians 1, starting in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose in us before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so Paul starts out really big, really big, lots of joy, lots of joy. We are blessed. And he starts out by telling us in that, in that third verse that we are blessed in Christ. All the other blessings don't make sense if it isn't in Christ. And what we talked about last week is that the Bible speaks of our identity as being in Christ as believers over 216 times. And it occurs 27 times in the book of Ephesians alone. So your identity being in Christ is a big deal. We are blessed by God in Christ. That's our identity. That is our identity. And in verse four through six, Paul begins to really unpack for us these blessings. He he unpacks the blessing of holiness in verse four, that he, God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So here's how that changes everything. If your identity is in Christ and that he has made you holy through Christ, that God has made us holy through Christ, not by our own effort, not by our own doing, but by Christ's work on the cross, that changes our activity and the decisions we make in our lives. Because holiness, the definition of holiness is being set apart for God. So what this means, the blessing of holiness for us lived out in our lives means sometimes we're gonna live very counterculturally. How you look as a Christian in this culture is sometimes not gonna make sense to non-believers, but that's the greatest gospel presentation you can give through your action. It is a life that doesn't make sense culturally because this is the person who puts their identity in Christ and in pursuit of holiness and receiving the blessing of holiness is someone who is being set apart for Christ. But this means this changes our activity and the decisions we make in our lives. Let me give you an example, which was really scary to give last service because both my in-laws and my parents were here for church. So you'll get this in a minute. But on Friday nights, my wife and I take a a time, a chunk of time, and we go out on a date and and we have a date night, lots of fun. And and we typically go in a routine of, of what we do, you know, dinner, and uh, then we go and we look at Home Depot because that's what she wants to do. And, and then after that, we, uh, we grab her a coffee. I smoke a good cigar. And we have this time together to just conversate and, and, and really connect with one another. So we're sitting at Hagen at the beginning of our date. And uh, my wife asks the, the real honest question of uh, when we should expand our family. And I'll be honest with you, my biggest struggle, what I realized in that was that I was not trusting God. Because in my mind, culturally, I don't make financially what is needed to have a larger family, to grow that family. And so I brought all my fear, all of my anxiety into that thinking, always. Not talking with my wife, not talking with God about it. And I realized my biggest issue, I was not trusting God. And you ever feel that moment of vulnerability where you almost feel like you're so exposed, you just feel like you're, you're physically shaking? And in your mind, it's more aggressive, but physically you feel and think like you're shaking because you're so exposed at that point of honesty and vulnerability. And I just told my wife, listen, I'm not trusting God. I am scared to death. 
uh, of bringing us into a financially concerning situation to just call it the Christian terminology of we just trust Jesus, we're gonna have a bunch of kids. You know, we should have a quiver full, it's in scripture. I mean, this is, this is the thing that I don't wanna enter into this ignorantly, but I realized my biggest issue was not how much money I didn't make, not, not thinking of space in our home, but my lack of trust. And so what we did is we finished our meal. We went to one of my favorite spots that overlooks the river and into Mount Vernon. And we sat there and we prayed together. And for about 40 minutes, we, we prayed. And, and I just really confessed that to God with my wife and saying, I'm, I'm asking you to match my thinking, God. I'm not laying my thinking down to you. I'm not laying my activity, my decisions down to you. I'm not trusting you. God, I trust you. Not for a blessing of the outcome that I want, but that you know I need. And so for us, I think often when we, when we look at holiness, we, we think of this set apart thinking where for us, it's off in the distance. We'll never obtain that. We'll never achieve that. But if our identity is in Christ, holiness is laying down our activity, laying down our decisions and saying, God, I trust you with this. Whatever the outcome, not my will, but yours be done. And through that, I don't have a bigger income from that time of prayer. I don't, we're not pregnant at this point and going, yeah, this is awesome. We're at this point what, what increased was trust, was me being more set apart and more vulnerable with God and saying, listen, God, I wanna pursue holiness. And in that, we receive the blessing of holiness. And then Paul shows us the blessing of predestination in verse five. It says, in love, he predestined us. Now, let me explain this for you really quick um, because this is a huge debate um, on theology, that, that, that some have a tendency um, to take sides in a camp. Um, and, and really, this has been a huge argument, so I don't wanna argue with you. I'd love to talk with you on this, but let me just explain to you just some, some of this thinking, that there are really two, two camps of thinking, and, and I'm simplifying this like crazy, so don't email me and tell me I left a, a bunch out. I, I know I did, and let's talk more about it, but there are really two camps here of thinking that the Calvinists really believe that predestination is the belief that God chooses us, that he put in place beforehand. He chose us. The Arminians would say that they believe that we chose God. This is the simplified statement. And so he predestined us. And it said previously, really specifically, before the foundation of the world. And so some would say, well, he picked us because he saw we were trying hard. Nope, no, no one seeks God. That's what it says. Before we did anything good or evil, before the foundations of the world, God chose those who are his to be his. That's predestination. And this is one of the beautiful truths of the Bible, that it's always been God reaching out to man, not man reaching out to God. Our reaching back to God is only in response to his pursuit. And what, so what that means then for us is that our, our destiny is predetermined, but really importantly, catch this, in love, okay? 
So what God is saying is your destiny is predetermined in love. It's not duck, duck, damn, okay? So it's not this circle around and God up in heaven playing chess with our lives. It's predestined. It is predetermined in love. Because for us, we, we don't choose like God chooses. So we chose hell. God chose heaven. We chose damnation. God chose salvation. We choose to run from God and God chooses to run after us through Jesus. That's what our God does. And so there are many varying opinions on this, but let me just tell you my conviction, my belief through study and prayer, through the time that I have opened theology books of of godly men and read scripture and, and sought God on this, not for my own opinion, but for more genuine reflection upon his word. I personally hold the the reformed position and it's this, God chooses us first and then we choose God second. That God puts the Holy Spirit in us and then the Holy Spirit gives us the faith to cry out to God. And so in this, really, when, when we look at predestination, especially with that key two words, in love. Think about your story. Think about your testimony, where you were before you met God. Think about the, the, the time where you met God. It wasn't because all of a sudden you were realizing, man, this is what I, I need to do. It, it, was, it was God stirring your heart. It's not your pursuit of God. It's God's pursuit of you. And, and so, I mean, one of the greatest examples of this is, is that Often we gather people in a big room and we do these altar calls and we say, that's the method that people get saved. But if God is predestined and God works in all of these things, there's crazy ways that people are getting saved. The first time I taught this series towards the end of the series, teaching on Ephesians 4 about a wrecked relationship that God had redeemed, I taught on the passage of grieving the Holy Spirit with bitterness. And I shared the bitterness I had towards someone and how the Holy Spirit just broke my heart. And a guy who came because he thought a girl was cute and, and showed up at that group just to see what it was about and socialize with a bunch of young adults, he then met Jesus and began to grow in Christ and, and gave his life to the Lord. God meets us where we're at. It's, it's not us going to God, it's God coming to us. And so we have the blessing of predestination. And, and then what this does then is it, it presents the blessing of adoption, In the end of verse five, Paul says, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, not of our will, not of our plan, but of his. So in Christ, we are sons and daughters. And the fact that God is called our father is incredibly important. So we are co-heirs with Christ. Our, Our identity is in Christ. And we don't look at God as a distant figure off somewhere else, we look at him as father. And what we see in the Old Testament is about 14 times God is referred to as a father, but it's always nationally. It's never individually and it's, and it's not personally, but everything changes when Jesus shows up. When Jesus comes along, we see in Luke chapter two, verse two, that the disciples ask Jesus, how then should we pray? And he says, when you pray, say, Father. And in that original language, it's not a distant, nationally speaking father, it's personal. He basically says, listen, when you pray, say dad. 
say dad. So what that tells us is that in Christ, we are adopted. And, and as the adopted sons and daughters of God, we have a father who loves us. Now, here's, here's what I understand that I think is really important to note. Some of you have wrecked relationships with your fathers. You, had, you have earthly fathers, or maybe you didn't have an earthly father who's not a good man. And for some of you, this concept to wrap your mind around the fact that, that God would be a father who's present in your life feels excruciating. So I just wanna acknowledge that. But why this is so important is because God is not Father God like your earthly father is your father. Our God has grafted us into the blessings of Christ. And he doesn't see you based on your works. He doesn't see you based on your effort. He sees you based on Christ in you. And so here's what we need to understand, church, is that we are the adopted kids And when we gather like this, our gathering is a celebration of our adoption. So when others come in, we're going, dude, you're adopted. That's awesome. Uh, You're in the family. We're together here. So we are blessed in Christ through the redemptive work of Christ. And so we receive also the blessing of redemption. And in verse seven, Paul tells us that in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So what that tells us then is it's all about Jesus, in him, through him, by him, for him. It's all about Jesus. Because when we are in Christ, then we assume in the grace of God, the position of Christ. So this is where the cross gets really important. Jesus goes to the cross and he takes our place, and then we take Jesus's place. We literally trade positions with him, so we are blessed in Christ because when we have faith in Christ, we receive salvation in Christ. We have new life in Christ, so we stand in the position of Christ, and we receive the blessings of Christ. This is the incredible good news of the gospel, that you and I have right standing before God before dad, not by our efforts, not by our works, not by our skills, not by how good we do, not following less of this, more of that. We have right standing because of Jesus that we have been justified before God by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Not the half done work, the finished work. So in Christ, we have the opposite of the worker's view. In Christ, we we have something we didn't work for. We have the opposite of the debtor's view. In Christ, we have something we don't have to pay back. We could never pay back. And if that's not a blessing, I don't really know what is. But here's the reality for us. For us to put our identity in Christ, that means coming out of the darkness and into light. And for you, I I don't know what enslaves you but I just always picture sin like a bunch of chains on a person and just weighing you down. It's depressing for you. It's heart-wrenching for you. It's agonizing. For you, maybe it feels like a struggle to walk in here, but can I just reason for you, whatever masters you in, in, in your sin, whatever you feel like is in control of you, 
that you would understand that Jesus has come to set you free. And the chains that you feel on you, when your identity is in Christ, there may be chains that you need to take off you. But let me just, just position this before you for you to think about. There is no lock on the chains when we are in Christ. Those chains may weigh you down. You may still think that your identity is to wear those, but it's not. There may be chains that weigh you down, but there's no lock on them. When we put our identity in Christ, he breaks the lock. He doesn't unlock it. He breaks it, never again being able to bind us to those things. And so by the grace of God, we walk in Christ in a brand new life. That's the blessing of his redemption. That we come today and we just say, God, I wanna lay those, those chains down. I, I wanna walk out of that darkness and, and into the light with you. And lastly, what Paul explains to us why, why God does all of this, why he has blessed us so greatly, Paul really brings it to a close in, in helping us understand why we are blessed in Christ with holiness, with predestination, adoption, redemption, forgiveness, grace, and sealed by the presence and power of the person, the Holy Spirit. He tells us why we are blessed. In fact, he tells us three times, not one time, but three times. And like we said last time, last weekend, anytime someone repeats something in the Bible, they want to make sure you understand it, that you don't forget it. As a parent, I know if I'm going to repeat something, it's really important and I want my kid to get it. So Paul reminds the church three times to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Ephesians 1.12 says, to the praise of his glory. I mean, Paul's really excited in prison. I mean, just picture this. This is not cozy prison. This is prison in an environment of we hate you and what you stand for. You want to talk about the pursuit of holiness in a counterculture? Look at Paul in prison. And here he is in Ephesians 1.14, the final time saying, to the praise of his glory, we are blessed. What do you do with the guy who says we're blessed while in prison? This is Paul's approach. This is his desire for the church to understand. So what do we do with the blessing of God? We bless the God who blesses us. We praise the God who blesses us. So let me just give you an illustration that I borrowed that I just think really gives an incredible understanding of the importance of bringing glory to God. That, that all, all theology is, is really in, in, in two illustrations of category, either, either cat theology or dog theology. Now, if you know anything about me, you know it's not cat theology, okay? <laughs> but there are really these two examples of theology, cat theology and dog theology. And let's say there is a cat and, and let's say there's a dog and, and they both have the same owner and they have the best master ever. No master compares. And, and they sleep in comfortable beds. They eat very good food. They are groomed at the best vet and spa. They are, they are petted. They are spoken to. They are well-treated and cared for in every way. These are some well-cared-for and spoiled pets. And here's what the cat thinks. I must be an amazing and valuable cat. I must be an amazing and valuable cat. And the dog thinks... I must have an amazing and valuable master. Do you see the difference there? There's a big difference in church. What we need is that dog theology. 
And so oftentimes in our world, it's cat theology. And let me remind you, the blessings of God are, are good. God loves you. God, God sent Jesus to die for you. God blessed you. God has eternity for you. God has a new nature for you. God has an eternal home for you. Those who are in Christ Jesus, these are the blessings that he has for us. But, but the cat theology looks at that and, and goes off and says, look at how amazing I am. Look at how valuable I am. Look at how important I am. So who are you looking at? Who are you looking at? Because the dog theology says, look at how great God is. Look at all that God has done. Look at all that God promises to do. Look at how awesome God is. This is why I keep reminding you, you're not awesome. God is awesome. So God does all of this that we would share with others, that we would demonstrate to others, having our identity in Christ showing them how glorious he is, how loving and generous he is, how compassionate and merciful he is, how kind and affectionate and wonderful he is as our master. And so this is the kind of theology we need where the focus is not on us, it's on our father, on our master. It's on him who has blessed us in Christ. Let's pray.